wife mentioned uh, this season of prayer and fasting that we've been in for uh, about 19 days now. We started January 1st, and we're going to Tuesday, uh, the 21st of January. We're going to finish with uh, just an evening of prayer together. You know, immediately there are a million reasons why you can't come, but if you do, uh, I really believe there'll be blessing uh, as a result of us setting ourselves apart to seek the Lord and to pray. I believe breakthrough comes when we when we seek the Lord and 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 pray. The whole idea of fasting, you know, whatever you might have fasted, and I don't know whether you did or not, but it's just putting God above whatever for a season. I talked with someone this last week, and they said I fasted Starbucks for 21 days. It was like, you know, she had died. But anyway, um, you know, we have so many creature comforts in our culture. And, you know, when you set something aside for a season to say, Lord, you're greater than everything in my life. I want to put you first. It could be something in regard to your time, something in regard to your food, social media, whatever it was this last week. Uh, fasting is not about abuse. We're not abusing our bodies so that we can be holy. Oh, that's stupid. Uh, you know, there are religions that do that, but that's not what it's all about. It's about passion, and it's about priority and just putting the Lord first. And my wife and I, uh, we've had a great time of uh, just being a little more focused in our prayer life this last 21 days. We've been using the, uh, the Foursquare devotional that they offered us. Uh, some of you, I talked about that a couple of weeks ago, a little app that you could download, and there are devotions there for each day of the week. We had a hard copy out in the Welcome Center. But uh, we've been using that to partner with our church family around the world and pray for what God is doing in the world uh, praying for our own community, praying for us as a church. One of the things that we prayed a lot for is just the moving of the Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit in our life. How many think we need the Holy Spirit's power in, in our life? You know, I've been reading the book of Acts as a devotional uh, during this time of prayer and fasting because it's such an exciting book. There's so many miracles and so many things that God did to bring breakthrough. When you read the book of Acts, one of the things you realize is that God's kingdom advanced as a result of the power of the Holy Spirit, bringing breakthrough, bringing healing, whether it's the lame man. In, uh, he was lame from birth in Acts chapter 3. And, uh, you know, Peter walks up, silver and gold have I none, but what I have I give you in the name of Jesus. Rise up and walk, and he's miraculously healed. And all of Jerusalem came running to see this man who, you know, had been lame all, all of his life. And now this testimony that Jesus was alive, that he had truly raised from the dead, that God had poured out his spirit, like it's prophesied in the book of Joel, that in the last days God will pour out his spirit on all flesh. His sons and daughters will prophesy. Old men will see visions. No, young men will see visions. Old men will dream dreams. But, you know, it was powerful. In Samaria, Acts chapter 8, Philip doing signs and wonders uh, in, in a region that was, to be honest, very turned away from God. Samaria was an anti-God culture. They had turned away from the God of Israel for generations. God poured out his grace and spirit. And you see the different miracles that took place in the book of Acts as ways that God demonstrated something to, to bring breakthrough. 
Folks, we, we live in an anti-God culture. If, 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 you, if you pay attention at all to what's going on in our world, we live in an anti-God culture. And in an anti-God culture, it will require the power of the Holy Spirit to, to open people's eyes. The Bible says that the eyes of unbelievers are blinded to the truth of the gospel. And for a few generations now, we've been removing God from our culture and people's eyes are blinded. They have no knowledge of God. They have no understanding of the Bible. And of course, it's God's desire to give the Holy Spirit powerfully to, to do miracles through us uh, uh, touching the world. In fact, I'm going to start preaching here. <laughs> you, know, you know, when Jesus, when, when Jesus sent the disciples, gave them the Great Commission, he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, therefore go. How many know he's our confidence? All authority has been given to him. He's our power. We don't have any power. Jesus said to the disciples in Matthew chapter 10, verse uh, 7 and 8, this is, what, this is what Jesus told the disciples to do he, he, when he sent them out two by two. He said, and as you go, preach, uh, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. There's an urgency to the message. Heal the sick. Cleanse the lepers. Raise the dead. Cast out demons, freely you've seen, freely give. That's a pretty big assignment, isn't it? How many think you better be prayed up? <laughs> if, if, that's, if that's the call, I don't know about you, but I'm feeling, Lord, I can't do anything. I have nothing. Lord, I need your power. I, I, need, I, I need to pray. And so, you know, as Cheryl and I have been praying, uh, I've just really enjoyed partnering with our church family around the world and praying for our community, praying for us, that we'd be filled with the Holy Spirit, that being filled with the Holy Spirit would be passion of our life every day, that we'd want to know Him and be led by Him, be able to speak for Him, be able to allow Him to work through us as we lay hands or pray or whatever it is that God's doing through our life. There, I do this all the time and I apologize. <laughs> I end up preaching a message before I get to my message. Sorry. Uh, I want to give you another scripture. It's not even in my section. Uh, Hosea chapter 12, verse 10. Uh, here's what Hosea said to the nation. He said, sow righteousness for yourself. In other words, do the right thing. Do good deeds. Sow righteousness for yourself. Reap the fruit of unfailing love and break up your unplowed ground. Some of your translations say fallow ground. For it is time to seek the Lord until he comes. And showers his righteousness on you. You know, there are times we need to seek the Lord. I don't care how long you've been a Christian. We have unplowed ground in our heart. There's callousness. There's routine. We get into a routine of just church attendance. And I'll tell you, just church attendance is not going to cut it. There's callousness in our heart. And as a result, God can't plant the fresh move of the Spirit in our soul. We need to plow it up. The whole idea of a season of prayer of fasting is to plow it up, plow up the ground. 
that God would stir our hearts, that he'd plant fresh things in, his, in our hearts by the power of the Holy Spirit. And, and so uh, I, I just want, I want him to break through in me because I don't want me to limit you. So I feel a responsibility. God, plow me, work in me, break me up, do new things so that I don't hold back your church for your kingdom, glory, and honor. How many would say with me, it's time to seek the Lord? Could we say it together? It's time to seek the Lord. It's time to seek the Lord. Now this morning, we're going to look at a little bit of a history uh, lesson. I'm going to look at a man named Asa in Second Chronicles. And... Uh, one of the kings in Israel's history, the fourth king after King David, uh, there was Solomon, after him Rehoboam. And you remember uh, when Rehoboam was king, the nation of Israel divided, uh, ten of the tribes pulled away, they no longer worshipped the God of Israel, they built idols and that's what Samaria is all about and that whole northern region of Israel. Uh, but two tribes stayed faithful to the Lord, Judah and Benjamin, and uh, Asa became king over those two tribes of Israel. And he uh, reigned in Jerusalem. Uh, what's interesting, um, what's interesting is in the Old Testament, in Chronicles, they spend three chapters talking about Asa's life. That's very rare. If you've ever read through the Old Testament, there are a lot of kings. And a lot of them, you know, just a couple of verses are mentioned there. You know, he wasn't worth a hoot or whatever they say about him, you know. Uh, a lot of them were evil. A lot of kings were following the gods of this world. And, uh, but, but when they take three chapters to talk about a king's life, it's because there's an important lesson to be learned. It's something that we're supposed to pay attention to. So why don't you nudge your neighbor and say, listen up this morning, okay? Just do that. Listen up, Okay. This is important, in other words. It says in, you know, First, uh, first Corinthians, all these things in the Old Testament are recorded as examples for us on whom the ends of the age have come. That's who we are. We're, we're the people on whom the ends of the age have come. And all these things in the Old Testament are examples for us. So what happens with Asa's life here, super important. Another interesting thing, if you've read First and Second Kings and First and Second Chronicles in the Old Testament, <clears throat> the kings... Uh, the writers of the kings are focused on the history of Israel, but the writers of Chronicles, not only are, are they focused on the history, but the spiritual impact of what was happening at that. They're written by the priests. And so th there's reference to uh, the influence and effect of these different kings' lives. And so uh, I'm going to quit talking and start reading, okay? Verse 1, first, uh, Chronicles, Second Chronicles, excuse me, chapter 14. It says... And Abijah rested with his ancestors and was buried in the city of David. Asa, his son, succeeded him as king. And in his days, the country was at peace for 10 years. Now, that's rare because they were always fighting. Asa did what was good and right in the eyes of the Lord his God. He removed the foreign altars in the high places, smashed the sacred stones, and cut down the Asherah poles. He commanded Judah to seek the Lord the God of their ancestors, and to obey his laws and commands. He removed the high places and the incense altars in every town in Judah, and the kingdom was at peace under him. He, was, uh, he built up fortified cities of Judah since the land was at peace. No one was at war with him during those days. For the Lord 
gave him rest. Let, let me stop for a second. Do you see verse 2 where it says, Asa did what was good and right in the eyes of the Lord as God? That wasn't easy. It was like trying to lead the United States back to God. And it was tough because there were so many political issues and there was this a liberal agenda, and there was this conservative agenda, and all these sentimental, all this stuff that was part of any culture in any nation. It was hard to stand for the Lord. The, the three kings prior to him, beginning with Solomon, had allowed idolatry to come into the nation. And that's why you see the reference to the foreign altars and the high places and, and the different places they burned incense and they worshiped foreign foreign gods that were not a part of Israel's culture. They'd allowed so much to enter into the culture that this was hard. Asa took a stand and the Lord blessed him with peace and with prosperity. Verse 7, let us build up these towns that had been torn down at different times in their history. He said to Judah, put walls around them and towers and gates and bars. The land is still ours because we have sought the Lord our God. Remember, God gave them a promised land, but they kept losing parts of it because they were disobeying God and their enemies were taking it from them. The land is still ours because we have sought the Lord our God. We sought him and he has given us rest on every side. So they built and they prospered. Okay. Asa's off to a good start. Ten years uh, of peace. After ten years, the Cushites, uh, one of the cultures next to Israel, uh, modern-day Ethiopia, Ethiopia is where they're uh, from. Uh, they attacked Israel with a million soldiers. Can't imagine that many men. I'd like to feed that army. Million soldiers and three hundred chariots. And you know, Israel is just a small nation. But verse 11 through 13 says, Then Asa called out to the Lord his God and said, Lord, there is no one like you to help the powerless against the mighty. Help us, Lord our God, for we rely on you, and in your name we have come against this vast army. Lord, you are our God. Do not let mere mortals prevail against you. That is powerful prayer. The Lord struck down the Cushites before Asa, and Judah. The Cushites fled and Asa and his army pursued them as far as Gerar. Uh, such a great number of Cushites fell that they could not recover. Uh, they were crushed uh, before the Lord and his forces. And the men of Judah carried off a great amount of plunder. <laughs> the Lord accomplishes a great victory uh, because of Asa's prayer. If we understood the political uh, situation in Israel, they were so often making alliances with other nations, trying to, you know, ask Egypt to help them or ask some other nation to help them. Rather than turning to God and asking God for help, who had called them out and made them a great nation, they're always trying to make alliances with other nations. But Asa sought the Lord, said, God, only you can help us. And of course, the Lord did a, a, a powerful miracle. Asa returned to uh, Jerusalem with Lots of plunder and spoils of war. A prophet uh, came out to meet him. Uh, let me begin in chapter 15, verse 1. It says, The Spirit of the Lord came upon uh, Azariah, son of Obed, or Oded, something, I don't know. Uh, he went out to meet Asa and said to him, Listen to me, Asa, and all Judah and Benjamin. The Lord is with you when you are with him. 
let me read that again. The Lord is with you when you are with him. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. For a long time, Israel was without the true God, without a priest to teach, without the law. But in their distress, they turned to the Lord, the God of Israel, and sought him, and he was found by them. In those days, it was not safe to travel about, for all the inhabitants of the land were in great turmoil. One nation was being crushed by another, one city by another, because God was troubling them with every kind of distress. But as for you, be strong. And do not give up, for your work will be rewarded. Let me read that last verse. But as for you, this is the prophet speaking to uh, Asa. But as for you, be strong and do not give up, for your work will be rewarded. Could someone say amen? So Asa was encouraged. He was encouraged to follow the Lord. If you read chapter 15, he continues with reform and literally cleansing Israel from all of its uh, idolatry and foreign gods. In fact, verse 16, it says, uh, King Asa also disposed his grandmother, uh, Micaiah, or Maacah. I don't know. Does anyone else have a rendition? (laughs) Some of these names. Maacah. Let's go with that. Okay. So, in other words, he removed her from her position as queen mother. Apparently, some sentimental... You know, she's such a great person, and she was a daughter of Solomon, and so she had this role in their history. But he removed her because she had made a repulsive image for the worship of Asherah. Uh, Asa cut it down, broke it up, burned it in the Kidron Valley. Now, that was not easy. How many know your family is the hardest to... (laughs) You have all this, you know, these emotional ties and sentimental stuff going on. And for him to take a stand who, uh, against something that had been part of Israel for generations now. Sometimes, sometimes there, there's wicked things that start happening in families and no, no one can stand up to it. Sometimes there are wrong things happening in churches. No one has the courage to stand up to it and make changes that need to be made. Sometimes there are wrong things happening in nations. We don't want to don't want to stir that up. You don't want to try to change that. All kinds of things all over Twitter. It's amazing uh, what can happen if you try to go the right direction uh, in life. Uh, just challenging. Uh, Asa's life uh, had a powerful impact. Uh, for the first 30-some years of his life. But unfortunately, in the 36th year, something happened. Uh, I don't don't know what happened to Asa. Uh, But the 10 northern tribes came against uh, the two southern tribes. And uh, Asa, rather than seeking God, he he turned to Aram, uh, Syria, basically, uh, he, he turned to them and he made an alliance and he hired them. He took money out of the temple and he actually hired them to, to go draw the king of the, the northern uh, tribes away from Israel. Uh, and it, it was some kind of, you know, 
slick political move. You know, let's kill two birds with one stone because, you know, Aram, they're going to come against us someday. So let's make a treaty with them and have them, you know, pay them all this money and, and, and pull the northern tribes away. And, and that way we'll have peace. It sounded great. It was slick. It was geopolitically correct. And it worked. It worked. You know, they hired a ram, they came, and they, they, sure enough, uh, the northern tribes turned back and, and didn't end up fighting, and it worked. Everybody was running around Jerusalem, high five, awesome, it's great, hallelujah, glory to God. But God was not pleased, because in his word, it said not to make alliances. And even though it was slick and successful, the Lord was not pleased, let me begin reading in verse 7 of Second uh, Chronicles uh, chapter 16. It says, At that time, Hanani, the seer or prophet, came to Asa, king of Judah, and said to him, Because you relied on the king of Aram and not on the Lord your God, the army of the king of Aram has escaped your hand. I would have given them to you. I would have given you true peace. Were not the Cushites and Libyans a mighty army with great numbers of chariots and horsemen? Yet when you relied on the Lord, he delivered them into your hand. For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose heart are fully committed to them. You have done a foolish thing, and from now on you will be at war. You were slick, you were successful, but God was not pleased. And now you'll have trouble for the rest of your life. Now here's verse 10, and this is, this is what's important. Asa was angry with the prophet, with the seer. Because of this, he was so enraged that he put him in prison. At the same time, Asa brutally oppressed some of the people. Starting to lose it. Didn't like being convicted. Became angry. Because he had stopped seeking the Lord. Stopped depending on God for victory in his life. And he starts sliding downhill uh, Second Chronicles chapter 16, verse 12 through 14. In the 39th year of his reign, Asa was afflicted with a disease in his feet. Though the disease was severe, even in his illness, he did not seek help from the Lord, but only from the physicians. Then in the 41st year of his reign, Asa died and rested with his ancestors. They buried him in a tomb that had been cut out, uh, he'd cut out for himself at, at, uh, in the city of David. Uh, they laid him on a cot, basically, by her, uh, covered with spices and various splendid perfumes, and they made a huge fire in his honor. I'm not sure what that was all about. Apparently part of the culture, of probably, I don't know, everyone roasted hot dogs and marshmallows in his memory. I'm not sure what that was all about. How many know that everything that starts well finishes well? Not everything that starts well finishes well. Not every person's faith that starts well finishes well. Not, not every person who starts out on fire ends on fire. You know what I'm saying? Not, not every person stays the course, so, so to speak. Uh, in Ephesians chapter 6, it talks about the, the full armor of God. Talks about putting on the armor of God. How many know we're in a spiritual battle? We're in a spiritual battle constantly of distraction. 
of diminishing the lordship of Jesus in our soul. We're constantly in a battle. Every one of us in this room, every soul in this room, you come up against barriers in your life and it's so hard to break through. It's like you can go this far, but you can't break through. It's like you can gain this much ground, but you can't break through. You can't get real freedom in your soul. We're in a battle. We're in a battle, a constant battle. And, and you know, the, the writer, the Apostle Paul, when he talks about, you know, the, the, the helmet of salvation, guarding your mind, the, the, the breastplate of righteousness, guarding your heart, knowing that we're, there's no condemnation in Christ. How many need to guard your heart with that? Uh, you know, the, the, the shield of faith, uh, the sword of the Spirit, he outlines these great images of our spiritual battle. But before he even starts, he says, Stand firm, therefore, in God's mighty power. And there's this summons for every one of us to, to release everything, to, to, to totally seek God with everything we are regardless of what it means to people around us, that we put God first and seek Him. Stand firm, therefore. And there's this challenge, we all face it, to try to compromise just a little bit with the world around us. Just allow a little bit of the world in. Just, just you know, I know God's word says this, but, you know, I just feel this. And, and we're constantly in this battle. And it, it results in so much strife uh, in, in our life. Not everyone who starts well finishes well. Not every person who was on fire uh, stays on fire. Uh, the, the book of Revelation, uh, chapter 2 and 3, uh, Jesus addresses uh, seven different churches in Asia Minor. And, and uh, a couple of them are referred to in the book of Acts. They start out on fire. They're experiencing revival in a powerful way. But in the end, they stopped seeking God. It's like they got so far, but then they got comfortable or satisfied with what God had done, and they didn't continue on. And you go to Asia Minor today, total Muslim country. There's, Christian faith is hard to find in that region of the world today. And yet it started out with amazing revival. The book of Ephesians, Ephesus, of course, one of those uh, cities that started out on fire, tremendous revival. Uh, you know, Jesus says this about them in the, in the book of Revelations, chapter 2. He, he says, I commend you, I'm using my words, but basically he commends them for their love of God's word. How many love God's word? Hey, you guys love God's word. You have great theology. You, you won't allow any, you know, any false doctrine. You're so holy, you squeak when you walk. It's awesome. But he says the problem is you no longer do the things you did at first. You no longer share your faith. You no longer practice hospitality. You're no longer reaching out. Remember when you got saved? You couldn't keep your mouth shut. You had to tell people about Jesus. I got to tell. Can't help it. I had to tell people about Jesus. And... Uh, Jesus tells them to repent and do the things they did at first. Go back to your first love. It's so easy to get comfortable and the church does this so well. We become so knowledgeable. There's so many Christian books we can read. We love the word of God. We love good preachers, good teachers. But that's where our faith stops. 
We hear great messages online, get them in books, get them at church on Sunday morning. But unfortunately, sometimes that's where our faith stops. How many believe it's time to seek the Lord and plow our fallow ground? We've got unplowed ground in our heart. We've got content. We're comfortable many times at a certain level. There's hardness that... That, that, that begins to settle into our soul. Amy Simple McPherson. I'm so glad that the Foursquare Church family, we are the weirdest denomination. When I tell you this stuff, you'll probably want to leave. We, if you don't know this, we are a Foursquare Church, part of a larger family. We were started by, by a woman which is not politically correct in a lot of church movements. I understand that, but Billy Graham said she was the greatest evangelist of the 20th century. Thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people got saved through her ministry. Thousands. And, and she had a powerful ministry of miraculous healing. And, and in fact, <laughs> you know, she... She... she she didn't do this. People did it. I mean, so many people got healed. Um, ambulances would bring people to the services. She had like seven services a week. Ambulances would bring people to the services, and they wouldn't come back to pick them up. <laughs> they knew they'd get healed. <laughs> That's church. Man. You know, I was at a, at a, at a conference probably quite a few years, certain things stick in my mind quite a few years ago and I remember someone talking who knew her personally and in a private conversation she had said to him, one day the church won't believe God for healing anymore. Jesus said do the things you did at first. Remember to the church at Ephesus and you know it's hard to believe isn't it? Some of us have been hurt because we heard messages about healing and, and we prayed for someone to be healed and they died. And that, that creates a hardness in your soul. I don't want to believe God for that. I, I don't want to believe God for miracles. I don't want to go to one of those churches where they swing from the chandeliers. You know? I just want to be cool, conservative. I'm not going to lift my hands, but I might go like this. What is that? You know, we try to be, are you kidding me? We try to be cool. As though God was worthy of cool. God's, he's not interested in cool. He's not interested in comfortable. It's not that he doesn't want to comfort you. He's not just interested in theology. He wants people to get saved. And he wants people to get healed. And there are times where we've got to seek him. We've got to plow up our unplowed ground. We need a fresh visitation of his presence. And I'm preaching to me, not you. I'm the one carrying this 21 days of prayer and fasting, saying, God, help me. Lord, in the areas where I've stopped depending on you fully, where I've stopped being fully devoted to you. Lord, I want to ask forgiveness for my sins. One of the brothers at, a, at the council meeting a couple weeks ago uh, was so good to confront me in an area where I was wrong. And it hurt. 
when he first confronted me. It hurt, but he was right, and I thanked him for it. Because I don't want to get stagnant in my heart. I want to depend on God with my life. We need the body of Christ because together we hear the Lord, and I so appreciated my brother for being bold enough to confront me because I was stupid. And I'd listened to the enemy and I wasn't listening to God. <sighs> Anyone ready to go home yet? <laughs> How many played hide and seek when you were growing up? Anyone? Yeah, it's like awesome. I grew up over by Congress School. And, uh, you know, back when neighborhoods were semi-safe, remember this? We'd be out in the summertime and uh, we... Uh, We'd play hide-and-seek till 11 at night. I mean, you know, parents, get out of the house, go play. That was always what they said. Get out of the house, go play. <laughs> Whole neighborhood, you just take it over, you know. And we'd be playing hide I just loved that. But I, I think we misunderstand what it means to seek the Lord. Okay, he's not hiding. God is not hiding. We're the ones who get distracted. We're the ones that are lost. Someone say Amen. We're the ones that are lost. We get pulled away from God. We seek God for us. For our hearts. We need to find our way back to God. And sometimes there are barriers within our soul that become strongholds. I was talking with a person a couple of weeks ago and they'd been away from the Lord for a couple of three years. They went through some hard times and they got mad at God because their life wasn't working out the way they thought. Their hearts became hard. They built up resentment toward God. And, 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 and this person said they felt like their heart was softening. In fact, a friend, I'm so thankful when people are led by the Spirit, a friend was, was listening to a Christian song, and she said, this is this is perfect for this person. And text the song. You know how you can do that with YouTube? You just send it to a friend and they can listen to it. Text that song to, and it was exactly what she needed to hear. And Holy Spirit broke through something in her soul. She just wept. And she just felt God drawing her back to him. It says Isaiah 55 verse 6. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he, was, while he is near. There are times when God begins to draw us back. I talk to people in this church every week almost where God is doing something fresh and he's starting to draw them back. But let me read it again. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Uh, oftentimes people don't keep seeking. You know, they, they feel drawn, but then something comes up. There are barriers within our soul that cause us to be afraid to seek God with all our heart. It's a spiritual battle in our lives and sometimes we struggle and we fall away even though he's right there and we're just at the moment of breakthrough. All of a sudden something keeps us from, from seeking him, draws us away from God again. Here's the problem. It becomes harder the longer you procrastinate. It becomes harder the longer you hold on to your hurt, the longer you hold on to your resentment, it becomes harder to seek the Lord and allow Him by the Spirit to plant something fresh in your soul. 
and do a work in your life. Why do we seek God? I'll finish with these things real quick. Why do we seek God? Number one, we need his help. Asa, in 2 Chronicles 16, verse 12, though his disease was severe, even in his illness, he did not seek help from the Lord, but only from physicians. Seeking God requires humility. It, 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 it requires you being willing to say, God, I need you. I need your help. This is beyond me. God, I don't have the wisdom. I don't have the self-control in this area of my life. I need you. God, we seek God for help. Secondly, we seek God for mercy. Aren't you thankful he's merciful? Uh, let me read to you uh, Exodus 34, verse 6. This is God speaking. Uh, remember, uh, Moses is hiding in the cleft of the rock. He, he, he wants to know God, see God. God says, you can't see my face. I'll pass by you with, with my back, but you can't see my face. And when he passes by Moses uh, in Exodus 34, it says, the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth. See, I don't know what's happened in your life but God's nature is to be merciful. And you will not suffer or pay for the mistakes you've made for all of your life. God is a redeemer and he will rescue and restore. He's merciful. Stop beating yourself up. Receive his mercy and his love and his forgiveness. Receive his mercy and his love and forgiveness. We seek God for help. We seek God for mercy. We seek God to know him. It says in Psalms 27 verse 8, when you said, seek my face, my heart said to you, your face, O Lord, I will seek. Seeking God's face is different than seeking his hand. Okay? We seek his hand for provision. We seek his hand for power to heal but we seek his face to know him. We want to know his heart. You can see a person's heart in their eyes many times. You can see what they've been through in their life sometimes. Uh, when we seek God's face, we want to know him. We want to know his heart. We seek God for guidance. It says in James, if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. Of course, we seek God for healing and we seek God for restoration. Uh, for, for, for things that have been lost or things that have been taken from us. I'm going to invite the worship team to come on out. And... It's time to seek the Lord. And I just want to encourage you. Some of you, I could feel it this morning. I, I could feel your heart seeking the Lord. What's the Lord asking you to lay aside to seek him? I, I don't know. I don't know. This season of prayer and fasting you know, hasn't been a, a, a super big deal for me. I, I don't believe that God wants to abuse ourselves, But I do believe he wants our heart and he wants to be a priority in our life. And so there have been a couple of things that I've been doing uh, that have just allowed me to, to change my schedule, change my life for more of God in my life. And and uh, that is such a good thing. And so uh, 
I'm going to invite us to stand.